Hello, my dudes. Wow, bet you didn't ever expect to hear from me again. That's how I start every podcast now, because apparently I can only post every few months. Um, hi, guys. It's, yeah, it's been a while. Sorry, been busy. Um, I've really been trying to work on <laughs> balancing my life um, and trying to not make promises that I can't keep, but evidently, I will continue to promise you things about this podcast and probably continue failing to provide such, um, such promise meetings. Uh, anyway, today here I am. Okay. So enough said, dude, I already won. I'm already here. Um, this is a podcast setup I've never done before in this apartment and, um, I bought two new desks recently. This is one of them, which I did consider to be a podcast desk. It's a mini version of my other desk. Why did I buy desks? Because we have this part of the apartment that uh, I guess is my office, but I've never done anything with it. And finally, our apartment is starting to make sense after living here for a full year. Anyway, yeah, um, and also business expenses. You gotta start the tax year off right by buying expensive furniture. Probably the most expensive furniture that I've bought in my life. Business, baby. <laughs> okay, anyway, we've got a lot to go over today, and I actually am very excited to be here. Um, well, okay, let's, let's get started. January, this month, was supposed to be the easiest, like, most low-key, relaxed month. This was my plan. Months ago, you know, I had midterms in school, and then I had finals, and I was so stressed and busy, and I was like, oh, I can't wait for January. I'm going to be able to make so many videos, because I won't have school until the very end, and I'm going to be able to travel, and I'm, I might even go to Iowa and do some canvassing for Bernie, um, until I learned how cold Iowa is in January, and suddenly the idea of walking outside and knocking on doors sounded terrible, so I didn't do that. But also, I got chosen to be a delegate for Bernie Sanders in my district, and I did not expect that either, so that took up my uh, January. Um, yeah, I'll tell you about that, I guess. So I had my goal uh, list for 2020, and on that was to be a delegate. The delegates are the people who can be sent to the Democratic National Convention, which is where the nominating process happens. So this time in 2020, it is in Milwaukee. And uh, yeah, I was like, dude, I would love to be there. I would love to see the excitement. The convention is surely going to be a shit show because, I don't know, I don't want to explain the... <laughs> the intricacies of the nominating process. But with so many different candidates, the delegates are going to be split more than usual, and it might lead to a brokered convention, which means, oh God, we're going to, we might have to burn down the city of Milwaukee. That's all I'm saying, okay? Someone's going to take this out of context. Actually, even in the context, I just said it. Some K-Hive supporters, uh, maybe some, some Biden supporters, they're going to find this video and they're going to say, see, these are the Bernie bros admitting that they're going to freak out if Bernie doesn't get nominated. But whatever, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think at this point, Bernie's going to win this thing, baby. And that is very exciting. But we're not starting the podcast with politics, so you can calm down, okay? I'm just talking about what I've been up to. So... I wanted to be a delegate, 
but I had no idea what that process entailed. And um, I have a, a, a friend who works in politics in New York, and I reached out to him and I was like, hey, do you know how I can get started with this? And he put me in contact with the Bernie Sanders delegate guy. And then, um, and then suddenly I got an email that was like, hey, you're a delegate with these other people and you have to go petition in your district and get this many signatures uh, for yourself and Bernie to be put on the ballot because New York has very uh, complicated election laws. So anyway, yes, um, suddenly I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have a lot of work to do, a lot of activism work, dare I say, during January when I thought I was going to be relaxing and doing work. Well, I wanted to do work, but whatever. <laughs> so, um, wow, I guess I could talk about what petitioning is like for a little bit. It's um, scary. I. This is another reason why I wanted to be a delegate. Um, I wanted to actually do some in-person work for Bernie for politics, because I do a lot of online activism, but like, is that even anything? Though this week, I've gotten multiple messages from people saying that they either used to not be into politics or they used to think they were conservative or had other whatever beliefs from their parents, basically, and that my videos or my tweets have over time pushed them in the direction of being more of a leftist. And that was really nice to hear because it makes me think, wow, okay. The things that I do and say on the internet aren't completely <laughs> useless and ineffectual. Um, so anyway, I, I've never done canvassing. Canvassing is the people who knock on doors and talk to you about candidates. I've never done that because it scares me. I mean, knocking on random people's doors to talk about politics of all things? God, you're just asking to be punched in the face. Um, I hope nobody ever punches canvassers in the face because they're just very nice volunteers. But um, I've done a little bit of phone banking, which again requires making phone calls to strangers and talking to them about politics. But at least you can do that from like home. You don't have to like walk outside. So anyway, the petitioning process is, you know, carrying around clipboards and trying to get people on the street to stop, listen to you and sign a petition. It's way harder than I thought. And, you know, I would spend like three hours out in town trying to get people to sign the petition. And I would end up with like six to 10 signatures. And I was like, oh my God, I'm supposed to get like 150 signatures this month. How am I going to do it? Uh, but anyway, luckily there were other delegates and lots of other volunteers. And it's just, it was, it was really great to meet other Bernie volunteers, because um, it just makes you feel really like excited. Whatever candidate you support, if you support anybody, it's nice. It's like the feeling of going to like a march or a rally. Like you're like, okay, in person, finally you're seeing and feeling this physical energy and excitement about whatever cause or person that you're, you know, excited about. And so, yeah, it's very inspiring and motivating. So that was nice. But um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we finished, we hit our uh, delegate, what am I saying? Our signature count. So we were done because I was worried that we might, you know, take to the end and with a deadline approaching, it would be stressful. But no, we finished early. So that was great. Um, and then I went to Charleston to visit my friends, Casey and Amelia. And that was really fun. But then I got sick <laughs> and I had a week after getting back from my weekend in Charleston 
before my semester was going to start. So I was like, okay, that's my time. I have a lot of sponsorships coming up. I hate putting my sponsorships too close together because I don't like back-to-back sponsored videos. And I also like, I get stressed with these deadlines because obviously having a sponsor takes a lot more work than just making a video on my own schedule. So (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm going to have this week to get my shit together and then I'm going to be ready and refreshed for school. But instead I was sick (laughs) and, um, Yeah, so I kept wanting to film a podcast, but I literally couldn't talk. I was like, "Mm, I don't think this is going to work out this time. So yeah, I had a full like two days in bed, which I have mixed feelings about being sick. Sometimes being sick, like there's like a good amount of being sick where you're like, I really genuinely am too ill to like get up and do anything but I'm also not throwing up. I'm fine, you know? Like I'm not dying right now, so this feels fine. But I get to like, you kind of enjoy it. Chelsea Fagan tweeted something about like the indulgence, like gross indulgence of being sick. It's like this tweet, like laying in bed, like surrounded by like tissues, but also like snacks and drinks and just like watching TV. It's kind of nice. We really don't give ourselves the chance to straight up be lazy and do nothing for a whole day and like sleep during the day, it's great. (laughs) But of course, when you're sick, uh, when you have things to do, AKA being an adult, uh, it's not as fun. It's hard to disconnect. It's hard to enjoy your sick day when you have shit to do and it's only stressing you out more and you probably got sick because you're so stressed, Tiffany. (laughs) I've also been dealing with um, tension headaches for the first time. Um, Yeah, I've had this like pain at the base of my head and my neck and it like goes all the way through my head on both sides. And I was like, okay, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. (laughs) And by that, I mean, I get extremely anxious about all possible ailments that I might have. So immediately, if my head hurts like this, And it doesn't feel like a normal headache. It doesn't feel like the tired eye headache that I'm used to from looking at screens too much. I was like, this is a new headache. (sighs) What do I have? Is it cancer? Is it um, something worse? Like, (laughs) what is it? And is my insurance good enough to go to the doctor? Not really. So anyway, (laughs) fun. But I did go to the doctor (sighs) and I paid out of pocket to go to an urgent care. And I thought I had like maybe an ear infection or something at first. And I was like, I just want to go in there, get my antibiotics and be chilling. And then you at least know what it is. And then you can chill and take your antibiotics and be fine. But then I went in there and she's like, hmm, sounds like just muscle tension. Like the muscles on your neck and head are like pulling and that's why you feel that pain. So she gave me she prescribed muscle relaxers and I've never taken any like hardcore pills, not a fan of prescription drugs. Uh, even when they're prescribed to me, I get scared because also the first time, probably the, the most intense pill I've ever taken was one Xanax after I had my first panic attack and didn't know it was happening, thought my heart was dying. Uh, the doctor similarly was like, it's just anxiety. Here's a Xanax. And I was like, oh, cool. Nice. Um, I took that one Xanax and it actually made me puke and I slept for like a whole day. And I was like, hmm, that's not fun. And guess what? Feeling sick from the Xanax 
makes me more anxious. So I'm not taking this for my anxiety because it's not going to work. Anyway, that's just me. (laughs) So I went and like picked up this prescription of the muscle relaxer, fully well knowing I was not ever going to take it. But I was like, hey, I'll have it in case I need it. And then my mom scared me or maybe my dad. My parents aren't fans of prescription drugs really either. They were like, well, I don't know. I'd be careful. Like it's a muscle relaxer. You know what a muscle is? Your heart's a muscle. It's going to slow down your heart. I was like, great. Okay, so my heart's going to stop from taking this muscle relaxer. Thanks, doc. (laughs) Anyway, hope I'm not freaking any of you out. Hope none of you are hypochondriacs because I am triggering you right now. But whatever. So I've been dealing with this little headache and I've been trying to de-stress. I also fully know that I need to work on my posture. It looks good right now, but, um, or maybe like decent, but usually my posture is absolute trash. Like bent halfway over, like even when I'm brushing my teeth, I'm short. It's not like I need to like reach far to touch a sink, whatever. I'm still bent halfway over, like right over the bowl brushing my teeth. And I'm just like, why did I let my posture get this bad? It's funny because my mom used to roast me about it. She'd be like, Tiffany, fix your posture, stand up straight. And um, I think I tried to rebel against her by not doing that. And I'm like, haha, who's laughing now? You have bad posture and you're hurting your neck and shoulders and head, you idiot. <laughs> I'm seriously like, how do people fix their posture? I need like a posture coach full time. I know they have devices and stuff that are supposed to help pull your like shoulders, but I've also heard that those are bad for you. Um, I guess like you just have to practice, but I truly have no back muscles. Like the other day I tried to do yoga to see if it would help my headache. Um, and even just sitting cross-legged, trying to sit like straight up, got my back like tired within five minutes because I'm used to either slumping on the couch or just slumping over like this and not trying to, I guess, engage my back muscles at all. (laughs) This is what getting old is, guys. You realize you don't use muscles anymore. I have no leg muscles. I have no back muscles. Definitely no arm muscles. Hmm. So anyway, yeah, I'm doing really well. No, but um, again, it feels good to be on the podcast. And again, it feels good to be able to speak and like walk and not be sick in bed anymore. So yes, after being sick for a couple days last week, I finally started to recover slowly. And sweet Nathan, he cared for me the whole time. And he's so nice. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. Because anytime I've felt like kind of sick when he's out of town or something, or like away for the weekend, it makes me so scared because I'm like, oh my God, how do people live when they're alone and sick? Even again, if you only have like a minor cold or something, I get scared. I'm like, nobody's here to take care of me. What if something happens? I don't know any of my neighbors. I don't know anybody in this town. Who would I call if I needed help? You know? And then I'm like, "Mm, I could get a life alert. I mean, I don't think they are really intended for people of my age or health status, but might make me feel more secure just knowing well I could press a button and be fine they'd show up and be like what's fine or what's wrong (laughs) what's not fine I'd be like I I'm hungry can you make me something and make me a tea please they're like "Mm, that's not what this is for so anyway yes Nathan was very sweet he was taking care of me he made me my meals um he made me drinks and things he got me a hot water bottle and just so nice. I was like, oh my God, you're so sweet. Like, you know, I take care of you when you're sick. But then I also know that when he's sick, 
I'm not the best nurse, you know, like he's intuitive, he's got it. And it's just not my instinct. I'm like, oh, like, mm, do you need something? <laughs> like, wish I could pay it forward or pay it back to you. But I also know I'm not the best. So I think even when Nathan is sick, he's still very self-sufficient. Like he's not, people make jokes about guys being really like over the top when they're sick, like gets a cold and they're like, oh my God, I'm dying, please help. Like if anything, that's me. <laughs> but Nathan, Nathan's not like that. He, uh, he defies all stereotypes of men, to be honest. He's the clean one in this apartment. He's the neat and organized one. He likes planning more than I do. I'm just like, okay, we get it. You're organized and you have your shit together and you're responsible. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I want to do a podcast with Nathan again soon. This morning I was listening to uh, our old podcast. We made an episode together. We've, ha we've had a few episodes together, but not in a while. So I think it's time to bring him back so you guys can hear that sweet accent. I also just got a... Uh, first of all, a Bernie fundraising text. I swear I get these every day. I have been donating to Bernie literally every day. Um, and I just, I can't stop, but I'm here for it because now is the time. Excuse me. <laughs> um, my package was delivered. I ordered a vintage Scrabble also. Nathan bought a bunch of new games. Okay, here's another thing. We'll just get into it. I'm trying to be social. And again, that's another thing that I succeeded in recently. A few weeks ago, there was a Bernie debate watch party. And um, I had had a group chat on like Instagram of Bernie supporters in New York City because I was trying to find like volunteers that could help me with the petitioning. So I was like, hey, if anybody likes Bernie, let me know. Maybe we could, you know, meet up and do some work. Um, <laughs> I ended up doing that with Tammy, um, but other times I just went by myself. But anyway, then I was like, hey, there's a watch party at this bar in Queens. Should I go to it? Like, it's not far away from me. So then I was like, who would be down to go? And a couple people came. And that was me being social. <laughs> and I posted a picture of it on Instagram. And a couple people commented. They're like, oh, Tiffany's being social. Wow, proud of you. I'm like, I know. It takes a lot for me to, like, put myself out there and meet new people and actually make plans to do things. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I recently bought Pictionary, a 90s version, literally from eBay, from the 90s, unopened, precious, Pictionary, uh, Nathan bought Monopoly, Clue, I'm looking at it right now, Monopoly, Clue, Five Second Rule, Jenga, and Uno, and again, now my Scrabble is here, so we're kind of set, okay, and what I'm saying is we're gonna start being the people who host game night, because I've realized over... I don't know, the past few years. Nathan's family is very into board games, and I like that. I think it's a fun activity. It's good for bonding. It's a great icebreaker, and you just get to play some wholesome games, you know? So, um, <laughs> yeah, recently I was like, dude, we should have some people over and play some games. Like, because that's the thing. As an adult, we've talked about this, but I don't know how people socialize aside from just going to dinner or going and getting drinks, which can both be fun, but either if you don't want to drink or don't want to drink that often, it's like, what do people do? Um, 
or like if I invite people to my house, like apartment, uh, what do we do? <laughs> Again, if we're not drinking, what do we do? So yeah, um, I mean, you can drink and play these games, which I probably will, but I'm saying it's not required. You can just sit and play some fucking Pictionary. Nothing bonds people more than Pictionary and other games. Um, and if you're a real one, you will get through an entire Monopoly game with me, all right? So stay tuned. I might uh, invite some people over and have a game night, and that could be my thing, all right? <laughs> I'm really proud of myself for making this step in the right direction. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to take a break and look at my list of things that I wanted to talk about today, but so far we're off to a good start. Thanks for listening, and see you in a second. Bye! And I'm back. So according to my list of things that I wanted to cover in this podcast, first thing being I am a senior in college. Finally, it's very surreal. I feel like obviously I've been working toward this moment for a long time. Um, So it's very nice and very satisfying to finally be able to say this is my last year of university. And in December of this year, I'm going to finish and I'm going to have my last class and my last final, and I'm going to get a degree. I'm stoked. And um, it's been really interesting tying this into my financial uh, situation. My whole debt payoff journey has been very interesting in tandem with getting my degree. I don't know if that makes sense. But obviously, I used to think before I started paying this off, I I would go, okay, I would associate graduating with my student loan debt, obviously, as most people do, because that's what happens when you graduate with loans. Um, And it's been very strange to (laughs) think like, oh, I'm going to graduate without student loan debt, by the way. Um, So I guess I'll give you guys an update on my debt payoff journey uh, because I haven't done a video or anything updating that quite yet. I mean, I just find it, I don't know. I think with the fact that I'm making more money than the average person and that I'm paying off my debt very quickly um, compared to what I would be paying it off, how quickly I'd pay it off if I were making a lot less, I, I feel kind of weird making these debt journey videos because it's like, like I know that it's not realistic or relatable for other people. Um, like if I were making half as much money as I did last year, this wouldn't have been possible. So anyway, um, I have to find a way to talk about that in videos that doesn't just sound like, oh, duh, just make thousands of dollars more. <laughs> it's that easy. Um, But anyway, I'll give you guys an update and then I'm sure I'll make a video about it at some point. But again, I I don't want to make it like I did this in this amount of time and everybody else should, too, because I realize like obviously for the vast majority of people paying off your student loan debt before you even graduate is like impossible unless you have a very small amount of loans. Um, Anyway, so here's my update. Um, Wow. So I made my video when I paid off my $10,000 of credit card debt. And then uh, I had about, I think 18,000 left in my student loans. So I have actually now paid off my Parent PLUS loans, which is crazy. So that was a full 8,000 of that left. Um, And actually I ended up, (laughs) because I was just paying the the account directly, but then I talked with my parents and um, they still have some debt to pay off 
that has higher interest rates than the loans. So obviously I was like, oh, it would be smarter for me to just give you this money and then you take over the loan payments, but we consider it even, like I've paid you for it. Um, so anyway, we did that and I, um, December was a good month and I had some big uh, paychecks come in. So I was able to make some big, big chunks of payments um, and that was fairly, interesting it's very weird to (laughs) to make like to make large amounts of money at least relative to what I think is large large for me right now to get this big paycheck or whatever and then just for it to be gone (laughs) like I don't feel like I'm making a lot of money because I try to keep my everyday life the same and all of my money just goes to taxes and debt so at this point it doesn't feel like it's changing my life much though I do feel very comfortable. That's the biggest thing that I've noticed in terms of like making more money is the the feeling of being comfortable. <laughs> and I, I've told this to a couple people recently, but um, I was thinking about this because I used to hate when I was younger and, you know, finances were not the best in my family, um, you know, as they are with a lot of people. Like I'd say most families struggle with that. But anyway, I would hate to hear rich people or rich families talk about their money and be like, oh, we're not rich. We're comfortable. And I'm like, bitch, compared to me, you're rich. Like I hated hearing people say comfortable. But now I've realized I'm comfortable right now. And I like it's not just a euphemism for like being rich. It's literally like I am comfortable in that I'm not like living paycheck to paycheck anymore. Like I know that I'm at least good for the next few months and that I'm paying off debt, which makes like takes a lot off of my shoulders. So in that sense, um, it's very weird to, to feel comfortable. I've also realized that my income from 2019 places me like solidly middle class And that's weird. Like, I've never thought of myself as middle class. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just having a lot of, like, identity, (laughs) not issues, but, like, realizations. Um, I I was listening to the Financial Diets podcast, and it's great so far. But Chelsea was interviewing Ashley C. Ford, and Ashley was talking about growing up in poverty and having an incarcerated parent and all the struggles of that. But she also talked about how she's making like a good amount of money now and how weird it feels sometimes to transition in like income levels and like transition from like, let's say like working class or uh, lower income to like solidly middle class or even upper middle class. It is very, very weird. And there are a lot of feelings that come along with that. Some like some levels of like guilt and shame in that like, you feel like you don't deserve it. Like if if you've seen all these other people struggling, if you've grown up like concerned about money and suddenly you're comfortable, it's like, yeah, it makes you feel a little guilty. So that's kind of where I'm at. Not like, not completely, but I did have a situation where um, I felt a little bit obligated or compelled to like give money to someone and um this is so vague and I hate telling vague stories but I don't want to put this person on blast um (laughs) but I felt obligated because this person kind of like asked me for money and like mentioned that they knew that I was making more money but I'm like dude I'm not making like that much money and again as soon as my money's in my account 
it goes to taxes, it goes to debt, and then it's gone again, you know? But um, yeah, it was really weird. And I was just like, how do, how do like legitimately rich people, wealthy people, millionaires and billionaires, how do they deal with that stress? How do you not feel so guilty for having so much when there are so many people in need? And, you know, obviously people need to be able to take care of themselves. Like you can't, you can't look at your own wealth, which is like protecting yourself and your family and your future as something that's like selfish. Cause it's not, we deserve, you know, to, to feel safe like this and set ourselves up for a good life. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I just have so many thoughts. I could make a whole video about this sometime once I get my thoughts in order, but it's just made me realize like, I wish <laughs> this, this comfortable middle-class life on everyone. And obviously that's such a simple, obvious thing to say, but like, that's the issue with the, the middle class disappearing right now is like, people don't need to be rich. Like you have no idea until you've experienced it, like how much better your life is just being middle class. Like sure, you can't buy anything you want. You're still working hard. You still have to budget, of course, but like just to know that you are safe and comfortable and that your bills can get paid, like like there's so much value in that and I think that's that's what most people want they don't want anything more than that like okay if you can pay your bills and treat yourself and your family once in a while and save for like emergency funds and retirement that's all we need so anyway that was such a tangent, but, um, anyway, so yes, I paid off my parent plus loans, which was crazy. Uh, and now I also was able to make another $1,700 payment, which got rid of one of my, uh, remaining student loans. So now I am down to $8,500 on my student loans. And that is the only debt that I have left, which is, absolutely nutty. Again, starting a couple years ago, I had $10,000 in credit card debt and I started with near $30,000 in student loans. So it's, it's very surreal. Um, again, it doesn't feel real because it's all digital. Like money doesn't feel real. (laughs) So like it's weird to make these big payments or even to get like paychecks in and just, you see the numbers, but it doesn't seem real. So like paying a big bill like that just seems like moving numbers. It doesn't feel like that big amount of money. But again, I think that's also because I'm in this very privileged position right now where I know that I'm making this amount of money and that next month I'm going to have a good paycheck come in. So like, it's not as scary as it was before, but even like two years ago when I, (laughs) I made so little money that year, but, um, I had like this one big job, which was by far the biggest paycheck I've ever gotten from like social media work because like my channel was so small at that time um I got that check and immediately the first thing I did was send like 75 percent of it to my parent plus loans (laughs) and like at that time it was really painful because I was like dude I could use that money like it would feel nice to save this and have this in my account but I also know I'll probably spend it on something else so I might as well get rid of it take it away from myself and put it somewhere where at least I know it's going to good use in paying off my debt so anyway um yeah so (laughs) um I don't know the exact numbers but I think according to my notes that last year, my after-tax income 
which my taxes were a huge uh, part of that. I don't know my exact taxes quite yet because I haven't filed my taxes. So it's possible I might get a little refund. Maybe I've overpaid, that would be nice. Or maybe I owe a little bit more, um, but I'm thinking it'll be more likely to be a refund. But anyway, um, roughly out of my after-tax income, I'm pretty sure I have paid half of that toward debt which is crazy. So like, yeah, in 2019, I made way more money than I've ever made, but half of that went to debt and then more went to taxes. So it's just been very, very interesting. Anyway, um, (laughs) so now um, I have my remaining student loans and I have two subsidized loans and then I have one more unsubsidized loan. So what I'm thinking is I will pay off that unsubsidized loan ASAP and then I think I'll leave the other ones at least till the end of the year because they're subsidized and while I'm in school the government is still paying the interest so like I might as well put that money somewhere else. So um, yeah that's what I think I'm gonna do though I feel like it would be really satisfying to just be able to pay it off and be like yes I've paid it off I'm done but I I think it would be smarter to put that money somewhere else so this year I have a lot of financial goals one of which is to open a Roth IRA so as a self-employed person that's usually the best uh, retirement option for the average self-employed person as I just said uh so yeah a Roth IRA I think the limit contribution limit per year is around like six thousand so I would love to max that out this year that'd be great and I'd feel real real good you know starting my retirement fund uh I'm, I'm turning 25 this October so it's about time to get started and I also would like to fill up my emergency fund Right now, I do have a savings account, finally. <laughs> I've had savings accounts, but I never like use them long-term. Um, after I paid off one of my credit cards, it kept auto-transferring $175, and then it just transferred it to a savings account at that bank instead. So uh, now I have a small <laughs> savings account, but I'm gonna use that as my uh, emergency fund destination. And I'm aiming for about $10,000 in my emergency fund, which hmm, kind of breaks down to like three months of living expenses. Um, But I just picked 10,000 because it's a nice round number and sounds sounds good and also is definitely like significant like that's a that's a good amount of money to have set aside for whatever I may need it for hopefully we'll never need it but you know good to have um so yeah that's (laughs) between paying off my debt maxing out hopefully my Roth IRA and a ten thousand dollar emergency fund I've got a lot of money to save this year okay so again we're still trying to resist lifestyle inflation um I recently heard about this concept called the golden handcuffs and I was watching this woman's video. She used to be a lawyer and she was talking about like what a lawyer who makes like $200,000 a year starting out, like what they spend their money on. I was like, oh, I am here for it, of course. Um, (laughs) So I was watching her video and she, she mentioned the fact that obviously if you're an entry level lawyer and you're getting paid 200 grand a year, like 
you instantly might jump into this high lifestyle, set your standards to that salary. And like, there are very few other jobs that are going to pay you that much. So she was talking about how she ended up leaving at least that law firm and I think switching to a different type of law. I'm not sure. But the golden handcuffs are like people who essentially set their life up they get, you know, a mortgage and a car and all these other things, private school for their kids. Their whole lifestyle is suited for that high salary, but then they end up trapped because if they leave for another job that's maybe more like satisfying or more fulfilling personally, they won't be able to maintain and afford the lifestyle that they've set up. So that's that's the golden handcuffs. <laughs> you can stay in your high paying job, but you're trapped. And that sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> so I'm trying to keep that in mind. Um, again, especially with YouTube, like, I don't know. What I'm making right now is amazing, but I fully know um, that this isn't going to last forever. I mean, I'd like it to, but <laughs> let's be realistic. Um, so I am glad that I'm using this money while I have it to be good and responsible and pay off my debt and save money. Because then at least... I don't know, in the future, if I'm working another job or making significantly less money, like I'm not going to feel like I wasted this time where I'm earning a good amount of money. Um, but also, even if I were to continue making this amount of money every year, um, I want to live, for example, in a house with a mortgage that I could afford at like any salary level, you know? So like, <laughs> I want to set myself up for I guess the opposite of the golden handcuff situation, like I want to be chilling no matter what, uh, you know, plan for the plan for the best, hope for the worst. I don't know what that saying is. <laughs> hope for the worst. Who the fuck would do that? Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm just I'm trying to continue learning these financial skills and keep thinking about just what kind of life I want and how I can get there and what is important to me, as I say, like after I spent a lot of money on these desks, I mean, it is a lot of money, but it's also nice furniture. And again, it's a business expense and it's something that I needed and it looks really nice in my apartment. So win, 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 right? Um, I did not expect this financial rant to come on this long, but I've been enjoying it. Anyway, also another thing. Um, so what's squeaking? Is that this chair? Or what? Hello? It might be the heater, the radiator. Let's not, please. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I've been very busy, um, which I love it. I love when people say they're busy. Nathan always roasts me because like, I'll say like, oh, I was too busy to film this week or something. He's like, you had plenty of time. You just didn't choose to. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fucking roast me. Um, he's definitely of the mindset. He hates when people say like, I didn't have time for that. He's like, you had time. You just used your time differently. And I'm like, okay, but it's easier to say I was busy or I didn't have time. But he is right. I mean, I am notoriously bad at managing my time. I love a good lazy day. Um, I love thinking. 
So like when I'm writing a video, it could take me like three days just to think about the video and like feel it out and like slowly move toward it, which does not work well for a weekly video schedule when it takes me, you know, a day to film and then another two or three days to edit and upload. So it's like, dude, you're not going to hit your deadlines. <laughs> Something's got to change. So yeah, with this year, um, I know I'm going to be really busy with schoolwork, obviously. Senior year, baby. I'm fucking excited. Um, so I don't mind the schoolwork, but I just know like as my channel gets more popular and, you know, I have more obligations for sponsors or whatever, like I obviously want to keep up with my upload schedule and, um, I'm just nervous that I'm going to get really stressed and I don't want to like hate this year because I'm so busy. Hello, sirens. Um, so I'm trying to figure out like how to set these expectations for myself. Like, again, it's like, I would love to post a weekly internet analysis. Cause at this point I post like three videos a month and that sucks. It's so annoying every time I aim for four, but a flop always ends up happening and it doesn't happen. So I would love one internet analysis a week. I would love a podcast a week, but we know that's not going to happen. Maybe two podcasts a month. Okay. But then I also do want to still post on my second channel. I have all of these ideas. I have long ass like video lists, but I just do not have the time. And especially when it comes to filming videos, like that's the hardest part. <laughs> like actually getting myself in front of a camera and doing this whole thing is the hardest thing. Like if my job was only the writing and the editing, that'd be great. But alas, alas, it is not. So I've been thinking I would love to hire an employee. And um, I don't even know how to go about that. I literally Googled the other day how to hire an employee. Cause like I've done, I've hired like freelancers for like very small things, like designing some like merch for me before or my podcast art, but I've never like hired an employee. So like, I don't know how to go about that. But basically what I would like is to find somebody local in New York city that I could meet up with, um, who could help me basically write and plan my videos help me edit a little bit. Um, but I wouldn't, that's my thing is I don't want to just send my videos. First of all, I don't, I was watching a Danny Gonzalez video where he explains how he makes his videos today. And he was like, I've never had an editor and I don't think I could have an editor because I don't want someone to watch this footage of me repeating myself and trying to be funny for an hour. It gets too embarrassing to imagine somebody else watching that. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> I don't want that. But also I have criticized kind of, I understand why YouTubers get editors clearly, but I have criticized some people because you tend to lose a little bit of yourself, your own style, clearly, when somebody else is doing it for you. So I would want help with like the basic editing. Like if someone could do the first rough edit for me, that takes probably two or three hours of my time, but isn't like intricate editing, it's literally just cutting and slicing and splicing. If somebody could do that, that's a couple hours that I don't have to spend doing that. Great. And then I can edit quickly and I can do all of my usual things that make my videos look like me. Um, so anyway, and I also would like somebody to help me write videos because sometimes when I'm writing the script, I just feel like it's nonsense. And I'm like, is this even interesting? Is this good? Am I saying something problematic or am I missing something here? 
And I've just kept thinking, like, I wish I had somebody here that I could trust to tell me straight, like, not just be like, oh, it's so good. I don't need to hear that. I need somebody to be like, hmm, this part's boring, or like, you should add something to this, like, explain this better. Like, it's obviously good to have another opinion that um, that understands what I'm going for. So I'm I'm envisioning, perhaps manifesting my dream. It wouldn't even be an assistant. It would literally be like, a partner in, in my video process because I just need someone to be on the same level as me. And again, I would love to be able to meet up in person because I don't want to be sending files back and forth constantly. I'd rather like co-create something um, and really be able to collaborate and have somebody that I know can help me with like all of my shit. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I'm manifesting. Please don't like, though, it's, though it is helpful for people to be like, I'm interested. Don't do it right now because I can't. <laughs> I'm I'm too busy right now to even think about the process of how to try to vet people and hire or interview. It mm, seems like way too much. Ouch, <laughs> my tension headache is hitting. That's funny how that happens. Um, but I do appreciate it. And I know there are so many talented people in New York City, clearly. Um, and I know that what I'm asking for isn't necessarily experts in anything. I just want somebody, I was just going to say, I want... I want another me, which is the most uh, egotistical thing I've ever said. But I mean, truly, like, well, I want another me, but me with a completely different perspective and life experience so that I can add more value to this experience, you know, because I don't want someone who wants to give me what I what they think I want. Like, I want somebody to like really help me make my videos better. And that's a funny thing is because um it's, this is something I also want to talk about. Like when your YouTube channel grows and then suddenly it's like, oh, somebody passes a million subscribers and like now they're different. Now they never upload. Now they're like videos are made by an editor and they don't feel the same anyway. Or all their videos are sponsored. It's like, oh my God, I do not want to fall into the trap of like, I've done all this myself to get to this point and then I become popular or successful and suddenly everything changes and then people are pissed because like we subscribed for you and this content and now it's like less you and less this content that we subscribe for. You get what I'm saying? So I don't want to fall into that trap, but also I totally see the value in being able to pay someone to help me and make my videos better and that would allow me to post videos more frequently so that I don't feel like such a lazy flop. <laughs> so anyway, trying to justify it to myself, but also I need to figure out like what a fair pay wage would be and if I can afford it or how how often I can afford it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking about that, but I have to plug in my computer because it's about to die. So we'll take another break and we will be right back with more chit chat. <laughs> Stay tuned. We are back. Hi. I just wanted to mention something that I just remembered. Um, so my sister cut my bangs recently, and that's nice. Um, so the bangs are back, obviously, if you saw. And in case you're just listening and haven't seen my recent videos or pictures, I have a fringe again. Whatever. So the first time I cut my bangs was in France in 2017. I did it via YouTube tutorial, of course. And it was scary, but I think I made my bangs the way that I like them. And my dear sister, she's a very talented hairdresser, um, but a few times 
she's cut my bangs and it's just not the way that I want them, okay? And I think bangs are a very personal thing. I trust her for my haircuts, but like for my bangs, like I would rather trim them myself than have anybody else cut them. So anyway, she cut them this time and I like them, but I also don't like the way that they've been falling. And so I've been having this crisis and I'm like, oh my God, how do I get my bangs back to how they were when I cut them? Can I do anything? Is there anything I can do? Or am I just being really picky? Um, I don't know the answer to that, (laughs) but today, um, I did cut my bangs. I tried to like re, uh, what is it called? Section them. And I added a little bit more and I'll just be like reckless, you know, at the ends. Cause I don't really care. They can be a little messy, but <laughs> there are these little side pieces, new side pieces that I cut. And on this side, it was easy. Cause you just do the little diagonal thing. For those of you watching, you see, for those of you listening, it doesn't matter. Uh, the diagonal cutting thing. But when I went to the other side and I had to try to do it with my left hand scissors, I can't hold scissors that way, so I couldn't do it. And then I just chopped it. (laughs) And I was like, I've made a big mistake. So now I have these like weird side pieces that you can't see right now, but I think they blend into my hair mostly, but there are moments where they've come out and I go, oh fuck. (sighs) Cause usually I'm not scared of like messing up my hair or my bangs. Cause like when you cut your bangs a little too short, it's like, okay, they'll grow out in like a week. But these weird side pieces, <laughs> I may have done goofed up, you know? So mm, kind of annoying. Cause I only cut the side pieces because I want them to be there like when I put my hair up. So now I'm like, great, I cut these and they're definitely there when I put my hair up, but I hate them. So how do you do that? Do I risk cutting them more? and potentially fucking it up even worse? Or do I just try to like pin them away and forget that it happened? I wish that when you fucked up a haircut, you could just cut the piece off, you know? Like it almost feels like you should do that, but you definitely shouldn't. So hmm, I don't know, but I just remembered that because I was looking in the mirror and I thought, hmm, fun, okay, that's a thing. But again, that's part of having bangs is just you have to learn to cut your own hair because they grow back so fast and some stylists allow you to get like free trims, but like, Again, my sister lives across the country. And also, I'm not going into a salon, even if I had a salon here. I'm not going in every three weeks for a little chop chop. No, (laughs) I'm doing it myself and I'm going to regret it, but I'm doing it, okay? So now the last thing that I wanted to talk about was my classes. So a lot of what I've mentioned in today's episode were ideas that I had for my second channel, my vlog channel, because I want to make more videos on there. But then I thought there is a lot of overlap between what I want to talk about on my second channel and what I would usually talk about in my podcast. So I guess it doesn't matter where I do it. Let's just talk about it. So I wanted to make a video reviewing uh, my classes that I've taken at my CUNY school so far. So yeah, I started a year ago at this school, uh, last January. And that was stressful because we were moving into this apartment. We had to find this apartment. Like I started class and we were still apartment hunting. Hmm, Real fun. But anyway, um, so last year in the spring semester, I could only take one class because I hadn't, (laughs) 
I hadn't been approved officially for my residency, which is in-state tuition, and there was no way that I was going to risk paying, like, out-of-state full semester tuition. It would have been, like, I don't know, $4,000 or something, and, like, I could not afford that at that time. So I was like, mm, I can't risk it, but I'll take my one intro class. That's, like, the intro class to my media major. So I was like, okay, I'll take intro to media studies, whatever, and... Hopefully my residency will be approved and then in future semesters I can take more classes. But I am really annoyed that I didn't get to take a full course load that semester because obviously if I did, I could be graduating this semester. I would have had to add extra classes to the other semesters, but still it's kind of annoying. But that's just the way the cookie crumbled. So what can you do? Um, <laughs> also, um, when I transferred, obviously they evaluate your classes and figure out where you can get credit for things. And all of my electives are full because obviously a lot of my old classes from other schools didn't fit into these requirements. So I'm good on electives. So that means all the classes that I have to take now and the entire time are all requirements. So I don't have any room in my course load to take any electives, but I mean, in some, in some requirements or categories, I do have a little bit of wiggle room in terms of choice, but not much. So yeah, so I took a intro to media last spring and the lecture was very interesting. If you have seen my video on uh, PR and propaganda. I love that video. That's one of my favorite internet analysis videos because that was my favorite lecture from that course. So I really loved that professor. He's very, very smart. Um, and it was just a lot of good information. I was like, yes, this is a good major. Like <laughs> there's nothing worse than taking the intro class for your major and being like, oh, I don't like this at all. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt about film. I was like, mm, I don't love this, but I'm here for it. Um, so yeah, I really liked that class. And now, funny enough, um, I'm gonna end up with media major, but I think not, not a full minor in film, but like my, like CUNY's have like a, a kind of like a, minor, whatever. So I have to focus on film because it just fits into my requirements in my courses that way. So because I've already taken so many film courses, like I might as well take a few more. This semester, I have to take intro to film, like film 101. Again, your girl has already taken intro to film, dude. I've taken so many intro to film courses now. I don't know. I mean, they're different ones, but like intro to video production, like intro to film history. It's like, dude, I cannot watch Citizen Kane again, but I'm gonna have to. I mean, Citizen Kane is not that bad, but there, there, there are some other movies uh, that have been covered in so many of my classes. And I'm like, I just don't wanna hear about it. I don't wanna hear about the, the train arriving at La Ciotat, you know? But anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so then, in the summer of last year, I took two classes. I took a media class, which was, it like focused on Photoshop, Illustrator, and coding for like basic websites. Mm, all things that I'm not interested in. But again, this was a requirement. So I was like, mm, okay. Um, 
Yeah, I I have no patience when it comes to Photoshop and Illustrator. I had to use them a little bit when I did a, a, a screen printing class in high school, like making like t-shirts and stuff. So I had to kind of learn how to do that, but I really did not enjoy it and I'm not talented at it. So I was kind of bitter and angry during that class. <laughs> Which is so funny, like what a thing to be upset about. But I just had no patience. So I'd be like trying to do something on Photoshop and just be like, fuck, I hate this. Um, I ended up doing well in that class, but I was not like excited about it. And then I also took a US history course that summer. So uh, again, another requirement. Um, I mean, the last U.S. history class I took was like my junior year of high school, so 2013. It's been a long time. I could use a refresher, and I think I did learn a few new things. Sorry if you can hear my computer. She's very loud right now. She's working overtime. You know how hard it is to record audio into GarageBand. She's working hard. It's okay. Um, anyway, so I did learn a few new things uh, in that class. I feel like I learned more about Native Americans in that class, which I really appreciated because obviously high school curriculum and middle school and elementary school uh, curriculum in American history can be wildly inaccurate. Um, did you guys see that like trending thing on Twitter that was comparing the textbooks in California and uh, Texas? So like made by the same publisher, but they have different versions because each state's like educational board can make changes, I guess. So yeah, like there are differences in how different events are taught and framed in these different uh, textbooks, depending on whether you're in a liberal state or a more conservative state. And I just find that fascinating. I mean, I've, I've only lived in Arizona when I was young and then California for most of my education. So I've lived in a liberal state, um, but I still think there was so much, obviously, in our textbooks that were never covered. And like, I, you know, I've been an advanced student. So you'd think that I would know more, but like, I feel like I didn't know shit. <laughs> like, I, I get to this class in college and I'm like, oh my God, like, I truly think I never learned this. How is it possible that I haven't learned this before? Anyway, uh, of course, right now I can't remember anything specific, but I did appreciate that professor and his framing of a lot of events. And he always reminded us, you know, just the reality of uh, American history and imperialism and the, I mean, at the time it was the British Empire, but the United States has its own empire or has had its own, whatever. <laughs> anyway, good class, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was okay. It was fine. And then this fall, I took a, a quite a few interesting courses. I had a Puerto Rican class, so this fulfilled some requirement, but um, I didn't really know what to expect going in, and I knew literally like nothing about Puerto Rico on day one other than the fact that they had had um, a few hurricanes, like Hurricane Maria, a few years ago. But I didn't know like anything. Like the first day, our professor handed out this questionnaire and she was like, um, you know, asking like, uh, are Puerto Ricans U.S. citizens? Can they vote? Like all these kind of basic questions, but like all of us like really didn't know. And that just, again, goes to show how little we are taught about, you know, U.S. territories. It's crazy. Um, but a lot of people in that class either were Puerto Rican or had like 
Puerto Rican families or friends or, you know, more of like a personal connection to Puerto Rico. So it was very interesting for me to hear all of their stories and experiences um, because obviously I couldn't relate directly. But um, yeah, that ended up being possibly my favorite class of last semester, which was a surprise. Again, it was just, you know, kind of a random choice to fulfill that requirement. But um, yeah, it was like, I can't really explain what kind of class it was. It was like a mix of like history, art, culture. It was just a really great balance and variety of sources and things that we would watch or listen to. And yeah, I feel like I I got much more of an appreciation for Puerto Rican culture. And now I have a bit better of an understanding, but still, um, I think another great thing that I learned in that class was about like, I guess identity and how you can't look at groups or even, you know, um, entire populations of people as like monolithic. So like, you know, people will be like, oh, like they just make generalizations, like all Puerto Ricans are this or all Puerto Ricans want this. And that's just not true ever. (laughs) So, um, yeah, also we learned about people, you know, just having conflict in their identity. So like Puerto Ricans are, it would be really stupid if I made a mistake here, but I hope I'm saying this right. Puerto Ricans are, to my knowledge, U.S. citizens, um, and they can vote, I think, only when they're living on the main, you know, continental U.S., uh, as opposed to the island of Puerto Rico. But um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Anyway, the, people have a, a conflict often between being American or being Puerto Rican, even though Puerto Ricans are Americans. And... Um, you know, living on the, the mainland, you're sometimes accused of others on the island as like not being Puerto Rican anymore. Or, you know, we learned a lot about uh, New Yorkans, the Puerto Rican community uh, or communities that have lived in New York. And it's just fascinating to hear so many different identities and so many different relations to, you know, where they come from, where their family comes from. You know, if your family has lived on the U.S. mainland for generations and you're Puerto Rican, like, is there any point where you stop identifying or calling yourself Puerto Rican? Is there a point where Puerto Ricans on the island won't consider you Puerto Rican anymore? It's so fascinating to me. And, you know, again, obviously, like, I can't relate to that. Like, my family, I guess on both sides, has lived in the U.S. uh, for generations, like, great great-grandparents at least and one side is kind of from like Newfoundland I guess and then like others are from like Ireland or Scotland generally just white European ancestry uh so not anything too interesting but it's not like my family's like oh we're Irish like no we're we just think of ourselves as American it doesn't get much more complicated than that um but it's just it's 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 a whole element that I haven't really thought about much because it's not relevant to my life. But, you know, it's cool. Um, anyway, that was my point. That doesn't make any sense. But I found that class to be very, very intriguing, okay? And it's something I want to continue learning more about. Uh, then I also had an intro to SOCH class, a sociology class. And... 
this was really interesting. I mean, it was funny because around that time, I had already been getting a lot of comments from people who are like, what major are you? Are you a social major? Because I feel like you talk about sociology stuff often. And like, I guess there were general things that I was aware of, but didn't really realize were related to sociology or part of sociology. Um, just super like basic kind of stuff about like norms and society. But uh, yeah, I found that I found that class to be very interesting. The professor was great, but I was in like a big lecture hall and I just hate big lecture halls. They're really distracting for me. And that class didn't have any required attendance, obviously. So it's always dangerous when I'm in a class like that because like it was like my last class of the day, twice a week. And I was like, I would love to leave early and not get into like, you know, subway traffic, you know, so I'm just going to leave. And then I would skip classes and then I'd be like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to go. <laughs> so yeah, I fell into that trap. Um, and, you know, the tests were pretty decent. So I did well in the class, but I, I, I kind of wish I had been able to take that class in a smaller setting because I think I would have gotten a lot more out of it. But again, that's not the fault of the professor. Even he acknowledged like how frustrating and difficult it is to teach in such a big lecture hall. Because at least at my college, um, most of my classes have been small or at least we have like small discussion sections. So like I don't have big lecture classes very often. And that definitely makes it a lot easier for me to learn and stay you know, involved, because <laughs> I, I have to show up, I have to be accountable, I might be called on or have to participate in some way. So yeah, um, what else? Oh, well, we'll go to another one. <laughs> um, no, we'll start here. <laughs> Media and politics, okay? So instantly, I was like, yes, I want to take a political class, let's get into it. Mm. Day one, I was like, I might be really angry in this class because my professor was making some jokes and I outed myself as a Bernie bro <laughs> like instantly. Cause like, okay, if I'm in a political class, I'm a political bitch. I'm gonna weigh in, I'm gonna talk. This is my time to shine. I'm usually very quiet in my classes just cause I don't like to weigh in unless I'm sure I have something good to add. And I usually don't have questions. So I don't like ask things often either. So in a lot of my classes, I don't speak up often, though I am like paying close attention. Um, yeah, I just don't have much to say. But in this political class, I was like, well, all right, if nobody else is going to answer, I will. But then I didn't want to be that like, either like suck up or like try hard person who's like talking constantly, because that's annoying, obviously. So I was like, mm, I'm going to pull it back, I'm going to tone it down, and just absorb the information. But the class isn't, it's not about like, mm, it's not all about modern politics as in like current events, um, but it does go through like, well, I guess the modern history of the US and how media has impacted politics, obviously. So a lot about, a little bit of, about like radio, but a lot about television and film and how those mediums have impacted political events. So that was fascinating. I learned a lot about uh, the Republican machines and Roger Ailes and how much of an evil mastermind he was. Truly one of the most manipulative but like genius people in politics. Um, again, like tying that back to PR and propaganda, Edward Bernays uh, from my media class. Tying it back to that, it's like Roger Ailes was truly a master. He was so good at using television to change the public's perception of 
politicians. So like he worked with Nixon and helped him, you know, win his elections. And he worked with Reagan. He worked with like a lot of prominent Republican politicians. So yeah, and then obviously he moved on to work for uh, Fox News and you know, it's effective. You have to admit, like another thing in that class that I learned is just, I I knew this, but like, you know, you learn examples, how Trump is so impressive in that he defies every political standard and expectation. Like in, in every, in every situation, when the, when the parties are kind of playing their usual people and it's like establishment versus establishment, they know what the rules are. They know what the norms are, you know, like, over time, we see these patterns and we know how things work. Trump came in and completely disrupted that. And that's why he destroyed Hillary, because Hillary represented the complete same old, you know, Democratic establishment. And she wasn't breaking ground in any way. Like, he was completely defying what you are supposed to do. Any scandal that's brought down any other politician, Trump has done a million times more than that. And he doesn't get hurt by it. If anything, it just makes his supporters like him more. So yeah, in in every way, he defied those standards. And um, you have to admit, I mean, obviously, I hate Trump. He's terrible. And I would love nothing more than to see him out of office and arrested. Um, but you have to admit, it is impressive. And really, really just <laughs> mind-blowing how smart he and his campaign have been like his team I mean it's again it goes back to like Roger Ailes and the Republicans but like they are really good at like I mean they're good at controlling gullible people they're good at using this very like dark kind of uh these media techniques that are definitely not like good but like they're effective in terms of getting people on your side and changing public opinion so it's like you know, if you're going to play dirty politics, then that's the person who's going to win. So yeah, but that's another reason why I strongly believe that only another non-traditional candidate, because Trump is obviously non-traditional, only another non-traditional candidate will be able to defeat Trump. And that is Bernie Sanders, baby. Because again, in so many ways, Bernie has defied the standards and expectations of the democratic establishment. So like, in, in all the best ways, you know, he has the best fundraising numbers by actual small dollar donors. He is not corrupt. He doesn't accept money from the wealthy or billionaires or corporations. He doesn't have super PACs. So, um, and also he has the most diverse coalition of supporters. Um, I could say a lot more things, you know. His supporters currently are the most working class the most diverse in terms of race. Um, He's actually leading, I think, among Latino voters, as well as, I think he's in second place in terms of African-American support. He has the most female supporters. It's like, dude. And of course, he has the the support of young people. So it's like, in every way, Bernie has the most diverse coalition, and he's just smashing expectations. And in the past few weeks, he's been going up in the polls, and he's only been getting more attacked by... Um, obviously as he goes up, you know, he was attacked by Warren for that, you know, sexist thing, which was a complete lie in my opinion, or a complete mischaracterization of the conversation, I believe. But again, that's another subject. Um, but like, and then Hillary Clinton comes out, (laughs) the beloved Hillary Clinton comes out and says, nobody likes Bernie. And you know what happens? He gets more contributions and goes up in the polls again. So it's kind of similar. I mean, 
when people compare Bernie to Trump, I can agree that there are some similarities in terms of their like phenomenon. Okay, so obviously not in terms of their policies or their character. But I mean, even back in 2016, we could see Trump was different in bad ways. He's a fake populist. But Bernie is a real populist in terms of having these policies that are for the people, for the betterment of the lives of average working class people, um, rather than the establishments on the Democratic and Republican sides that mostly serve um, corporate interests. So, yeah, so it's funny, the, the establishment and the mainstream media will try to attack Bernie by calling him um, Trumpian. That's the big new attack is like Bernie bros are like Trump supporters. They're Trumpian. Bernie's mean and blah, blah, blah. He's just like Trump. It's like, shut the fuck up. These arguments that you're trying to make are absolutely ridiculous and the people can see through it. OK, but if you're going to say Bernie and Trump may be similar or their campaigns or movements may be similar in that they have very, very passionate supporters and that, um, I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> but really, it's like uh, you can't compare the two in so many ways, but there are kind of similar things. But again, like in terms of, I don't know, maybe fundraising, like again, like who else is getting like the numbers in terms of contributions like this. I think Bernie is the only candidate who has gotten more um, donations than Trump. So again, it's like, if we're talking about trying to beat Trump, who's the most electable candidate? Because everyone's concerned about electability when they think that Buttigieg or Klobuchar or Warren or Biden are the most electable, when in fact, based on so many factors and polls, Bernie is actually the most electable against Trump. So it's like, hmm, what's well, your next argument? Let's hear it. Because it'll only, you know, every time you attack Bernie, apparently it makes him, you know, raise more money and go up in the polls. So I love to see it. <laughs> anyway, I've been very, very, very excited to see this recently. And I really do genuinely believe that he has a strong chance of winning Iowa. I think he's certainly going to win New Hampshire. And then after that, the momentum is on your side and people will start to coalesce around you because you're the winner. Um, and that's when you become the true front runner and people will realize Joe Biden is not the choice. And then hopefully Bernie will get the nomination. But again, it's all very complicated and it, it definitely relies on people continuing to donate and work and canvas and phone bank volunteer for Bernie, work hard, show up to those caucuses, show up to vote, obviously. Um, it's going to take a lot. So it's not like we're giving up and saying this is an easy thing. Um, but it is very encouraging. And it's really like electrifying and motivating to at least see that like this is the best time for Bernie to have momentum. And I'm actually really glad that he was like, you know, steady this whole primary. And people insulted him. They're like, Bernie has a ceiling of support. The only people who like Bernie is this 15% of Bernie bros and nobody else likes him. He has a ceiling. Oh, that's funny because he's gone up 10 points in the polls. <laughs> I guess the ceiling rose, bitch. <laughs> um, really, though, it's like. It, it was good for him to be steady while everyone else was like, oh, maybe it could be Kamala. Maybe it could be Beto. Maybe it could be Buttigieg. Maybe it could be Warren. They've gone up and down and they crash. But Bernie has stayed consistent. And now he's gaining speed at exactly the right time to where it really, really matters. Because obviously we're coming up on the Iowa caucus and that is when shit gets real. And I'm so excited. And that day I'm going to be freaking out. So nervous. 
Um, so stay tuned. <laughs> Hope you guys were ready for that little political rant because I just did it. I just have a couple more things. So other classes that I took, I had a TV culture class, which was very interesting because um, obviously I've taken a lot of film and media courses, but I hadn't taken any classes that focus on television. So it was really nice to learn about the history of television as a medium and you know, I can't remember anything now, so that's helpful. <laughs> Going from like very, very controlled television, like under the studio systems and like the main few network um, networks of television to cable television and now streaming, it's all expanded television so far to where we obviously have so much more choice in terms of what to watch. There's a channel, there's a show for everyone and everything. Um, so it's kind of democratized television, but it's also, um, it's still kind of the wild, wild west, you know? That's what media always is. We think we've got it figured out and then things change. And uh, throughout, you know, obviously the history of television, so much of that is about advertisers. And um, it was really fascinating to watch old shows from like the 50s or 60s where literally like, I mean, it's almost like a YouTube video, but it would be like if right now I pulled up a drink and I were like, oh, and I'm just gonna take a sip of my Coca-Cola. And then I spent five minutes talking about why Coca-Cola is good. They used to do those kind of integrated ad spots, but it would be like in the middle of I Love Lucy, they'd be like, I've got to do laundry with Tide. And like, <laughs> it's just crazy. I mean, again, to, to a modern eye who's used to, you know, either skipping ads or having Netflix that doesn't have ads. Um, oh no, my camera stopped. Hold on. Please. Oh no, I only have four minutes of space on my camera. Um, yeah, to, to, to me, who's grown up in, obviously, my era of television, I've seen regular TV commercials, but, like, there didn't even used to be commercials in the sense that we know them, like, in between shows or in between sections of the show. The commercial would be in the show, during the show, with the stars, with the host, like, very, very interesting. But, yeah, I mean... It's, it's tough because advertisers are often the way that shows can get funded, but they also interfere with the content. I mean, that's the struggle of being on YouTube as well. It's like, hey, I've got to make money. I've got to do sponsorships. I know they can be, you know, a little annoying sometimes or you wish that they weren't there. But like, if you want people to be able to make this content and give it to you for free, you're either going to have to watch some ads, you're going to have to watch some sponsored moments, you know, but that's the trade-off. So yes, I really, really enjoyed that class. And my very last one was my chem lab. So I had to take my very last science class. I took my last math class a few years ago at Loyola, which was rough because it had been years since I took a math class. <laughs> if I had to take a math class now, oh no, I would be... I would be useless. I haven't, no, no. I don't wanna think about it because I'm done. And it was such a relief to finish that class. So yeah, I had my last science class. This was a requirement. I decided to take chem just cause it was available. And when it comes to like which classes I pick, I mostly pick based on the schedule because I refuse to have an early morning class and I don't want any late classes. So I try to have my schedule be between like 10, ideally 11-ish to like four. Like that's my ideal time to go to class. That's when I'm good. I'm fine with that. Um, I would like classes to be back to back so that I don't have gaps. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I took my chem lab and obviously the focus is on the lab, but there was a lecture 
and the lecture was in the biggest lecture hall at my college, and it was horrific. I could not hear one fucking word that the professor was saying. She was like up there at her podium with a mic, but she was like almost like whispering or just, she had a very soft voice, and everyone in the lecture hall would be talking and laughing during the entire lecture. So like nobody's even trying to be quiet. <laughs> like nobody gives a fuck. So then I'm trying to listen to the lecture and I could not hear it. So like, and I can't keep up cause she's just going through this PowerPoint really fast. And I'm like, dude, the last time I took a chem class I was like 16, so I don't remember any of this. Um, but yeah, the actual labs uh, were on another campus. So I had to commute to those and it was kind of annoying, but I did make some friends, some class friends in that lab and we had a good time, you know? So that was fine. But here's the sad thing. I did end up missing two labs and you get like one free lab. So if I had only missed one, I would have been fine, but I missed two. And that ended up giving me a grade of a B plus, which was so fucked because every other class that I've taken so far, I've gotten an A. So I'm pissed because now my GPA is ruined. No, but really it's like, it's funny because I'm like, why do I care about grades still? I keep telling myself, like, stop stressing. You don't need straight A's. Like, your GPA doesn't matter. Who cares if you graduate with honors? But I still have this gifted kid mindset where I'm like, yeah, grades don't matter. But I still want straight A's. <laughs> so I will probably continue trying because I just, I can't make myself try less. So might as well just keep trying, full effort. Anyway, thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, this camera is going to shut off in a second, so I just want to end here. But I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, and I will really try my best to continue making these at least twice a month. I mean, too late for January, but for the rest of the year, we'll see. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. If you have any ideas or questions or things that you want me to cover in future episodes, let me know. Okay, thanks. Bye. And the camera's going to shut off soon. See ya.